Welcome to So You Went to School for Singing, the podcast. I am your host, Andre Peel, and thank you so much for joining the conversation. Each episode, a guest and I talk about all things singing, the career, education, and so much more. All right, let's get started. Today I have one of my favorite people, Alicia J. Orba, soprano extraordinaire, with me today, all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Alicia, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Um, We're going to start with the way I try to start with everyone's opera origin story. So I know a lot of this, but I'm sure there's lots that I don't know. So tell me and the rest of the world how you got into classical music? Okay, well, how I got into classical music, uh, I started playing cello when I was in third grade. I was eight years old. And I remember a boy in my school (laughs) uh, was saying, oh, you can't play cello. It's a big instrument. That's for boys. And I was like, fuck you. I'm going to go play cello, (laughs) right? So I ended up uh, playing cello and went to the uh, middle school for creative and performing arts here in Pittsburgh. Um, And there I developed a major love for classical music, um, symphonic music. Uh, I've been playing in symphonies since, you know, I was 10 uh, and ended up switching to trombone because I had a, uh, a crush on the boy <laughs> who played tuba. So I knew if I switched to trombone, I'd be the last trombone and then I'd get to sit next to the boy who played tuba. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I, I then played trombone all the way up through high school, also at the creative and performing arts high school. Singing was never, classical singing was never really a thing on my radar. Um, I actually uh, did a little bit of musical theater in high school. We had all school musicals, so I always kind of sang, um, but never trained, never did anything like that. Uh, my junior year of high school, my mom got remarried and I moved, and they didn't have an orchestra. They only had band. I've never played in a marching band in my life. <laughs> and I, you know, growing up, having only played in, in orchestras, was like, I'm not going to play in band. How dare they? <laughs> so I, uh, I signed up for choir. And it was there, the high school's elite choir that was called the Warrior Choir. Yes, Warrior Choir. And there I met a woman named Angie Berna. Um, and I, I know her, her name has changed since then. She, she was married, but she was like 22 years old, 23. She was super cool. She was like my favorite teacher in high school. And she was an opera singer, well, trained, trained to be an opera singer. Mm-hmm. Um, her degree was in voice performance, but she came to be, to, to work in, in music uh, at my high school. And she really liked my singing (laughs) and uh she took me to her house one day because i had gotten into all all city choir after an audition or for an audition and she taught me all my music 
all the all the voice lines. Mm-hmm. I was soprano one going. Of course. Weird. <laughs> she taught me all my music. She sat me down uh, during a break and she turned on the Renee Fleming 2020 episode of 2020. I don't know if you remember that. I don't know. Oh, it was way, way back. This was, I mean, this is in 1999. I'm dating myself here and telling everybody <laughs> exactly how old I am. Those are the good old days. <laughs> back in the 90s, in the Clinton years. And, and I just, I don't know. I'd never heard anything like that. You know, my mom loved opera. My dad would take her, you know, to see Madame Butterfly because it's her favorite opera but I had never seen it. It's interesting because my dad was a musician, mm-hmm. so, but he wasn't a classical musician, he was a jazz musician. Yeah, so Ms. Berna got me really interested in opera and it was something that kind of stuck in my mind. Um, but then, you know, that year was up and I hated living out where I was living, which was like way out in the farmland of, you know, Western Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So I moved in with my dad uh, back in Pittsburgh and went back to the creative and performing arts school uh, where I actually switched my major from instrumental music to musical theater. Ah. Oh. Yeah. So uh, because I had done all the all school musicals since <laughs> I had been there, the musical theater yeah. uh, teacher was really happy to have me there. Um. And that was kind of where I first started voice lessons. Now, they were really sporadic. I think over the course of a year, I had four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally, they just let me build and go about my life. <laughs> so I finished high school and had met, I met my husband <laughs> that year, my, my senior year of high school. And we kind of bummed around a little bit and we started a metal band. And we had a metal band for about four years. It was called Sweet Nothing. It was terrible. Um, But it was a lot of fun. And it taught me a lot about performing um, and getting up in front of people uh, and and just going for it, going for it. Um, So I did that for a while. And then, you know, my husband, who was then my boyfriend, asked if I would move with him to Florida while he went to school. Uh, so I said, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and then he asked me to marry him and I said, okay. <laughs> so we moved to Florida where I worked at Sprint for customer service um, and basically did nothing for a year except go to work. And when he finished school, he was in school for audio engineering. Uh, when he finished, we moved to New York City. I know a lot of singers live in New York. So you know, <laughs> if you're listening and you live in New York, you know the hustle, you know the struggle. Uh, I moved there, I was 20 years, 20, 21, when I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And I spent the first two years in New York working at Radio Shack. And it was not great. I had no college degree. I wasn't doing anything um, with my life. And I remember I had the most New York day. (laughs) One day I had inventory at Radio Shack. I was counting all of these like little tiny pieces. I don't know if you've ever been in a Radio Shack because I think they're all disappearing. 
but they had these drawers where yes. they had all the little tiny electrical components. So I had to count those twice because I was the newest person there. I got stuck with counting the drawers. So I had to count those twice. I was on my feet for 12 hours counting little tiny pieces. I go <laughs> to go home. I get on the wrong train. It's a downpour. I get off the subway. I'm somewhere downtown and I have to go all the way up to Washington Heights and I accidentally then ended up in Brooklyn and it's pouring. And I remember walking from one train to another and the wind blows and it's like a movie. <laughs> My umbrella like turns inside out and blows down the street. It was really <laughs> stupid. So I come home like maybe four hours later than I should have soaking wet, exhausted, knowing that I have to get up. And at this point it's like maybe one in the morning, knowing oh that I have gosh. to get up and be at work again at nine o'clock so I can go back and count those drawers one more time. I go to sleep. I wake up in the morning. I get dressed for work and I go and I put my shoes on and they're still wet. And I just fall down on the floor and cry for about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I called off work and that day I was like, I need to go back to school. What am I gonna do? Mm -hmm. I've always loved music. I had always had these visions of me being a, uh, an orchestral trombone player because I, I had fallen in love with trombone. Mm -hmm. um, but I hadn't played at this point in four years. And so I said, I want to go to school for music. It's the only thing I've ever been good at. I know, I'll go to school for singing. Singing's easy. <laughs> 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 if I knew then what I know now. <laughs> oh gosh, oh goodness. Yes. So, <laughs> so I, I go online and I was like, well, I need a voice teacher. <laughs> and I think at this point, it's like maybe October. Mm -hmm. or no, no, it was probably actually a little closer to September. So it's September. I, I go online and I start searching for voice teachers in New York City. And I find this guy. And I couldn't even tell you his name because I forgot it. But I started studying with him. And I took a few voice lessons. I said, I want to go to college for singing. He's like, okay, great. I went to such and such school. Um, I really, I work more with musical theater people. Uh, I, have, I have so many people on Broadway. Like he had, a, he had a lot of students that were, you know, doing, you know, Broadway chorus line and all, all that kind of stuff, which is mm -hmm. fabulous. Like that, that work is hard to get and that's not to take away from anybody. And in fact, I think ensemble work is some of the hardest work out yeah. there and the most thankless. Um, <laughs> yes, you don't. Mm. You know, because I, I, I don't want you to think I'm throwing any shade. No, you know, he didn't have any big stars, but he did have a lot of people who were working on Broadway. So I started studying with him and, you know, I was so green. I had no idea what was going on. I wanted to sing because I had seen, you know, a movie, I think it was The Life of David Gale. It was a vaguely, yeah. It was, it was like that Kevin Spacey movie where where he was. Uh, I know, yikes! <laughs> but at the time, we didn't know how yikesy it was. But it was, you know, where he was like trying to 
you know, prove that the death penalty was wrong. And, you know, I've always been social justice yes. lady, like anti-death penalty, like, yes. let's go. And so it was one of those movies, like, of course, my husband and I went to see. And in that movie, there's an opera scene where the woman is singing uh, to Katie Jell. And so I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And that was my first experience with Turindo. I know. <laughs> with any bit of Turindo that I that had ever known. But I saw that and I asked him, I was like, oh, I want to I wanna sing this aria. Because <laughs> I had learned the word aria and I was born. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> He was like, yeah, sure, you can sing that. Also, here's the 24 <laughs> Italian hits, you know? So that was yeah. my first book. And uh, of course, the first piece I picked out was O Del Mio Dolce Ardor, uh, which is like- Such a heavy hitter, standard. I know. And also, come on, I shouldn't have been singing that even. Um, it was like, oh, it's all about wine, and I'm just learning how to sing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I studied with him for a few months. He gives me, you know, he, he, and he's like, okay, you should audition at all these places. You should audition at, you know, at Manus. You should audition at MSM. You should audition at um, Westminster Choir College, uh, and you should send, audition at Curtis. And so I didn't know any better. And of course, I fill out all these applications. Mind you, I started in September. I remember at that Thanksgiving, I was finishing up all my essays <laughs> with my family. Like we were all getting it together because at this point I was 23 years old and I'd been out of school since I was 17 and was remembering how to write papers. So I applied to all these schools. And you know, I make my my pre-screen recordings. After only studying for me. like three years and three months at this point. Yeah, I started studying, and yeah, <laughs> like I had been also studying. not singing or music for what four years in Florida or from not do, like not doing anything. Nothing to just like Nothing. okay, Curtis, come on, y'all. Right, I love it. I love it. <laughs> the audacity. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I I go. And <laughs> Manus won't hear me. Like they rejected the application. MSM rejected the application. Westminster invited me and Curtis invited me to audition. So I go to like get ready to go to these auditions. And I went out and I got a really cute pantsuit. Come on. <laughs> And mind you, I mean, this was the early 2000s. Things were different, but I didn't realize, like, because the jewel tone wrap dress was in, baby, <laughs> <laughs> and has never left. <laughs> and so I, got, I went out, I got this really cute tan pantsuit that I later saw a woman in her mid-50s wearing at a wedding, like, oh, later no. that summer. <laughs> and... And so I go to my audition for Curtis. It was interesting. My, my teacher at the time told me to 
go and make sure that I had original copies of all of my pieces, not photocopies. Don't make a book. Instead, I clomp onto the stage. I carry all of the books that have all of my five audition pieces. And I plop them down on the piano. He also told me, it's like, okay, so when you go to into audition, you go, you give the pianist your music, and then you give them your tempo. And so I'm at Curtis. I'm looking at this pianist who I don't know who he is. I'm sure it's some hot shot, big deal guy. And I go, okay, I'm going to start with Caro Mio, Caro Mio Ben. And the, the tempo is... And he looked at me, I'll never forget, he looked at me and was like, I think I'll keep up. (laughs) Now, if anybody has ever auditioned for Curtis, if anybody knows anybody that went to Curtis, um, their auditions are open to all the people that attend. Oh, yeah. So I'm there doing that in front of about 10 singers that already attend Curtis. And I turn around and I go, and you know, I go to, to start and I sing Caro Mio Ben. And I see like shoulder shaking from laughing. <laughs> what? And I see that and I, like my spirit is kind of crushed. And then they ask for um, the crucifixion, Barbara's crucifixion. Yeah. And I sing that and I just, I don't know. I left feeling so deflated, so underprepared, and with the thought of like, why did they invite me? Was it just to laugh? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of was the deal that I, that I was feeling. So I shake it off, shake it off, because I was like, you know, performer's life, you gotta <laughs> do that. And I go to audition for Westminster Choir College, and I, I go, and do the same stupid thing, carry all my books, because nobody had told me better. <laughs> carry all my books in and go to sing for Laura Brooks Rice and whoever the dean was at the time. Um, and, and I sing and it's terrible. And I remember Laura Brooks Rice looks at me and she goes, so where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, well, I mean, hopefully singing at the Met. <laughs> And she legit looks at me and starts laughing. <laughs> she literally laughed me out of the room. Um. <laughs> and I, I'm okay dropping that name because, you know, later she becomes a, a much better part of my life, but, you know, and, and very encouraging. But um, so I didn't, obviously didn't get in anywhere. And it was August of that year I had gotten rejected from everywhere you know so remember this was all starting yeah. you know I did all my auditions and you know in midwinter and so now it's August and I opened my mailbox I'm going home at this point I was working my husband had opened a recording studio uh, his own and I was working and I was managing that recording mm-hmm. studio and working with artists and you know doing all the scheduling and keeping up yes um, so I came home from one day, it was a long day at the studio, um, like a super long recording session. Uh, and I come home and I open my mailbox and there's a letter from Manus 
And I look closer and it says Manus Extension Division. And it said, you know, you're, you may not have gotten it. I remember the, the wording. It said, you may not have gotten in to the school, but we don't want your dream to end. Oh my gosh. We'd like to offer you a position at, in Manus Extension Division. And little did I know they sent that out to every single person that ever auditioned for or sent in any kind of mail for, for Manus. But I thought, oh, oh, wow, they saw my potential. And so I, I go and they have, you know, your first audition day, which was like a week later. So I went from having no hope of ever being a singer to going, oh, somebody wants me to be a singer, you know, and <laughs> within a week. Oh. Wow. Um, and so I go to Manus, I, I show up, I sign up, I pay my tuition. <laughs> yes. And uh, I sign up for their extension program, which is like adult learning. It's a non-degree program, but they do offer credits, which are transferable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I... And also, like, it was always this big thing, like, you know, oh, you go to extension, you know, but it's impossible to get into the college division if you're an extension, like, which I didn't know when I first signed up. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I might not have signed up. Um, but I go and I, I do my first audition. I had no idea who anybody was. And I wanted to sing uh, a praise in Rev. <laughs> and so I sang a praise in Rev for them. Dan Zan Samel, Charlotte Tony Maja. Right? Perfect. And, I love it. And there's there's this, you know, this panel of, of a bunch of teachers and you know, very serious, very elderly white people, you know, looking at me. And here I am, this you know, 20, 23-year-old African American girl uh wearing like a baggy shirt like open shirt over like this velvet skirt i had no idea what i was doing i looked terrible um, and he had all these very serious people looking at me and there was one man who was just smiling smiling like beaming all of this love and light and him. energy and so the next day i meet with the dean and the dean uh of the extension division goes hey, um, Dan Merrick wants you to study with him. Do you have any choice of, like, do do you have any idea of who you wanted to study with? And I was like, no, I don't care. Like, somebody wants me? (laughs) Like, that's great. Um, So I go to study with Dan Merrick. Uh, Dan Merrick was a tenor at the Metropolitan Opera for many, many years. Uh, And honestly, one of the nicest, kindest human beings I'd ever met. Uh, Dan Merrick was the first person that really heard operatic potential in my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I came in, I started lessons with him. And about a month later, he goes, Alicia, you do not belong in extension division. He's like, you need to audition for college division this year. And I'm like, what? Nobody gets in. <laughs> right. Um, and so we worked and he heard... <laughs> At the time, I had this crazy extension to my voice. Like, yeah. you know, I had G's and A's, like, hi. So what were you singing back then, Alicia? Tell the people. Queen of the Night. <laughs> yes. 
And that was the aria that I started with um, for my Manus College audition. Mm -hmm. And I got in. Um, I was accepted. I was one of five people that were accepted that year for voice. Mm -hmm. um, started at Manus the following year. Yeah. Singing Queen of the Night. <laughs> so that's my journey into serious real college training but I, I but i think the already the lesson is when people are like it's really hard people can't get into it people can't get into it when people say that that's for them like just because someone thought that it was hard they heard that people can't get from extension to college like you could have let that just deter you from even trying but knowing that if it's meant to be it's meant to be and that's true, but also I think, you know, I mean, having a community of people rally around me, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was interesting because being in a Manus extension, there were a lot of very talented people and people who are still out there performing. Um, I don't know if you know uh, Ricardo Riviera, mm -hmm. wonderful. He was, he was an extension. Evidently, though, I, I believe that the time I was, uh, that I was there, I think there were quite a few talented people mm -hmm. in extension and people really re willing and ready to do the work. And Ricardo is actually one of those people, like I, I ran into him many years later, we were both at Des Moines Metro Opera. Mm -hmm. um, and he, you know, I ran into him and it was just so wonderful to see somebody who I knew from a time in my life before I even knew that opera was really going to be my thing. Um, back when the dream was new, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when it was mm -hmm. fresh. And, you know, but he is also, he's always been one of those people. He's so focused and so extremely intelligent, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I don't know, I, I, I think having a community of people rallying around you and uh, everybody like going for that common goal and everybody pushing each other harder and further um, was one of the things that was also helpful because I, I mean there are times all uh, there were many times when I was going to give up and you know my friends would help me my my family would help me you know even when I didn't believe that yeah. I was going to do anything um, and I mean heck that's still true today <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. So, and it, I do think, yes, like there, there's definitely inner belief, but I also think that leaning on the people who you trust um, and who love you also are, is extremely important. You need to have people in your corner and around you. And that's not necessarily people in the business. It could be, could be your mom, you know, yeah, <laughs> or your dad or sure. your uncle, you know, or your cousin or your best friend, you know? And sometimes I think, it can you go through moments where it's hard to find people in your corner who like are really in your corner not just like conveniently in your corner and looking around and be like okay if i had who around me right now actually believes that i can do this right now and i think sometimes we go through even artistically dark spaces for ourselves where we're like no one you know and then you like open up and someone sends you an email or you hear something and you're like okay there are a few people, but I think there are lots of moments where you just feel like you're like, I'm on this journey by myself mm -hmm. and it's yeah. hard.
No, yes. and, and I, I do think that that's really hard. I, I mean, I've, I've certainly had times like that. And I remember, you know, one of the darkest times in my life, I was having like major mental health issues. No, everybody thought I should just quit and drop out and like deal with, deal with myself. And um, I took a step back. I got a dog. This is when I got Hobbs, my, mm-hmm. my, you know, yeah. very special dog. who was very special to me um, to kind of help with, with that. And honestly, like I leaned on my dog, man. Like he, I, it was that moment. And, and I remember, you know, a teacher I studied with later who would become one of the most important teachers in my life, Shirley Close, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, it said something to me. Yeah, this was years later, but it, it kind of put it perfectly. Um, your dog doesn't care about you as a singer. She was like, you could, you could come home and have the worst reviews in the world and your dog is still so happy to see you. Mm-hmm. And she also said, you know, you could come home and have had the best opening night in your life and your dog is shit on the rug in your floor, <laughs> like in your living room. And yes. that brings you back to where you need to Grounded. be lest you yeah. get too full of yourself because yeah. those, like some, sometimes it's easy to, it's easy to yeah. get a big head. It's easy to get a huge ego when you have, you know, uh, you know, a room of 2000 people standing up clapping for you and telling you how great you are and giving you flowers. Um, so anyway, that was a tangent. Where were we? And I love it. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to talk about, you could talk about as much about manners as you want, but, uh, I'll start this next part with the, the story of how I knew you and you're going to fill in some blanks because I was thinking about this. So I remember going to Florida State and walking down the halls. You were singing, it was before school had really, really started, but you had, had a, you were in a lesson with Close and you were singing something, one of, something that I loved and was obsessed with that I hadn't heard anybody sing. And you were singing it and I was like, there's this girl that's in this room and she's singing my favorite aria. And I can't even tell you what that aria was. And I don't know if it was Tache La Note, but- It, it might've been Tache La Note. And I was just like, what is happening? Okay, so I remember that moment. And then fast forward, I just remember, yeah, we have another person in our class, but she's in Europe right now performing. So I guess whenever she's done with that, she'll come back to school. Because it was the very beginning of school. Yeah, I missed the first week of school because I was in France (laughs) performing. Because that that summer I had gotten signed to an agency. I was at a summer program, which was actually one of the most wonderful life-changing programs I'd ever done. It's Glenn Morton's program, uh, L'Art du Chant Francais. Um, and at that time, it was the very first year of it. I was working with Michel Seneschal, who unfortunately passed away, but I learned so much from him. Um, and sorry, I just, I have to plug that program. It's, I love it. You know, Do it. It, it. it was a pay to sing. It was expensive. Um, but I was so immersed in French culture. I lived in a castle. 
um, <laughs> for like six does. weeks. We lived in, in a castle. It was amazing. And I met some of the most wonderful people that I've ever met in my life um, and formed friendships that have been lasting and wonderful. And, um, and also was immersed in French call, French language because Michelle didn't speak English. So <laughs> um, you had to learn French yeah. real fast. <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, yeah, that's not a pivot from us just because I, I want to ask a question. Um, in your experience over, do you feel like the people, the staff and staff, staffs, staffs, I don't know, that you've worked with in different programs, different companies, whatever, do you mm -hmm. think overwhelmed, do you think they're more genuinely nice people or have you met or do you find that the nice people are hard to weed through through like maybe people with egos or resentment or whatever mm -hmm. not nice people would you say more positive experiences with people or negative it's been my experience that it's harder to find terrible people um yeah it it is i i think every single person comes with their own baggage mm -hmm. everybody comes with their own thing i i think you know, a lot of people who get into administration, especially in higher education, were former students at that school, you know? Um, and it's, so I, I think, especially when you're dealing with the high level conservatories, like, like a place like Manus, which at the mm -hmm. time was, you know, very well respected, very old, um, institution and all of the administration was run by people who were former students. Um, I'm sure that that wasn't what they imagined when they signed up their freshman year of college to go to Manus College of Music. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. Like I, I think on one hand, I found everybody there to be well, almost everybody there to be extremely helpful and positive because they want to know what the heck it's like being a student at that school. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are other, were other people that I ran into, you know, and this isn't just man, like I'm, I'm just saying yeah. that as a, yes. uh, a, a, as a, you know, for an example, but um, you know, then there were other people, you know, that, that I've met that have gone into administration for the wrong reasons, because they weren't able to get a performing career off the ground, and they become resentful of the people that they are working with, um, and, and the product that they're trying to put up. I, I mean, but I think that's with almost any other kind of career, you know, you go yeah. into a career to be you know, an environmental lawyer and you find yourself slogging away doing, you know, divorces out of a shopping mall. Like that's not, not the job that you envision for yourself. But also I think, you know, a big problem with higher education is the expectations um, mm. that are given to people in the arts, especially in performance degrees. I think there's way too many people, uh, admitted i think that the programs don't set you up for success um i'm not a huge fan of higher education for performing arts um other than the experience that you get actually performing and that's if you're one of the lucky few people who get to perform Ooh. um so yeah i mean Leah, i 
I don't mind uh, dropping a little bit of truth here, you know? <laughs> no, but like, uh, do you think that, because I do think a lot of people, especially coming out of school, there is a little bit of, a lot of bit of entitlement. But do you think any of it's warranted because they have spent a bazillion dollars going to school, they got this piece of paper that says they know something or whatever that's supposed to mean. Do you mm -hmm. think that because maybe if you got a master's degree, I don't know, chemical engineering, or like if you went to med school, that there are certain privileges, I think, that you might be have access to. And I think as singers, you can have a master's degree. You can have a doctorate in performing and people are like, okay, well, whatever. That's yeah, nice. I, I mean, I think it's, you know, in, in other fields there, you can kind of look at, you know, job placement statistics and mm -hmm. everything else that they tell you to look at. Um, but I also think that there is this weird expectation because we're in the performing arts that just because we want to do it, we're allowed to. Um, I, I think I had mentioned way back at the beginning of this podcast that my, uh, that my dad was a musician. Mm -hmm. That's all my dad did. My dad didn't have side jobs. He didn't do anything else. He didn't, you know, like people would always, and it would drive him crazy. Just like, I know it drives all of us crazy. What's your real job? And my dad would go, this is my real job. I'm a musician, right? Um, was he famous? No. Did he raise, clothe, feed, educate a family of five by being a musician? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, did he take, you know, the, the work in the big, huge arenas? Yes, I've seen him play in big, huge arenas. I've seen him play to 10,000 people. Um, I've also seen him work in bars and be the, the, you know, band leader for the band that day, that, that night, you know, on jazz yeah. night at such and yeah. such place. Um, you know, I think the perspective that my dad had, um, you know, and who was, you know, my, my mom and my dad are my very first teachers of everything. They've, yeah. you know, they, they were wonderful parents. They, gave me all the encouragement I needed. They never pushed me into music. They let me find it myself. Um, my dad was never a music teacher to me. He never wanted us to have that relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, but he always made sure that I found the right people. Um, but I remember, cause you know, when my parents got divorced, I would, you know, spend every weekend with my dad, but again, my dad's a musician. So I would go with him to jobs every single weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my, my parents divorced, I was 12 years old. So from the age of 12 to the age of 18, I, you know, six years, I was every weekend seeing my dad work. Yeah. And we were in the car one day. And I think when he realized that I was starting to think about a career in music, you know, he said, Alicia, we are musicians. We are so lucky to do a job that we love but you must never forget this is our job. Mm -hmm. This is not hobby. This is not big dreams time. You know, this is time to work. Um, and I think that a lot of the entitlement comes f 
from people not realizing that this is a job. It may be your dream job, but it's still your job. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of fantasy surrounding work as a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of it is, I, I don't know, I, I, I believe there's this idea that, you know, sometimes you don't have to work as hard as you would if you were a lawyer or a doctor. You know, first off, we spend the same amount of time in school learning how to sing yes, as doctors yes. and lawyers do learning how yes. to do what they do. Um, but I, I believe that there's this idea that, you know, oh, well, it's a musical skill. That's, that just comes naturally, you know? Um, and, you know, it, it, it takes real training. And if you're a doctor, if you're a surgeon and you don't keep up on your skills, you're a sur- you're, you don't get to <laughs> continue yeah. practicing as a surgeon because eventually you start slipping. Um, and if you see it as like, oh, you know, this, this wonderful wispy dream, um, rather than, you know, well, this is how I make my money and how I feed, uh, feed my family and pay my rent and pay my bills, you know, make sure everybody has clothes, make sure that I'm able to reinvest back into my business. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there is this wonderful sweet spot like it is. You know, and I think about my dad all the time when I when I think about that, um, that there is. We are so lucky what we do. Mm-hmm. Like not a lot of people get to do a job that they love. Most people do a job that eh, like they don't hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And then there are some people who do jobs that they love. And for me, the takeaway of doing a job that I love is that, well, you know, I don't make as much as a doctor or lawyer, um, but it's worthwhile because I don't hate what I'm doing and it brings me personal fulfillment, but it is still my job. And so you have to find that middle ground you know like there's so much stuff i would rather not sing (laughs) i can't tell you how many how many lines of music that i've sung that i am just embarrassed that they came out of my mouth but i needed a paycheck yes and so you find a way to connect and you find and that's the job that's the part of the job the job isn't like me going out and singing turando like that that's the reward for the rest of the job, you know? Yes. yes. But the job is doing everything else that you have to do. It's like, nobody likes filing, (laughs) you know? Yes. So I I don't know. I think, but I, I think that that's the thing is people don't want to do the part of the job. That's not the fun, glamorous part. part. Yes. Which is again, Um, why I always say ensemble work, man, do they, it. me, I do, I do a lot of ensemble work, don't you? Like, yes. Um, that's the part of the job that's like, mm, do I really want to stand here in the background while I watch such and such ex, very extreme famous singer sing in front of me? Um, okay. I wish I was singing with you, but I don't know, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but right now I get to pay my bills and I get to take more voice lessons and I get to like deal with what I do. And on top of it, I'm still making music. So even a bad day at work is 
still a lot better than like a good day for me working in an office. Amen. Amen. Correct me if I'm wrong. Cold Tessie Tree. Oh. First, I know we're hopping in there. First time, first, first role. First time for everything. That's what I got. That's okay. Yeah. So it's so interesting. And there's something I I have wonderful friends who are super talented, extraordinarily talented. Something that ah, I don't know, that you possess still. It wasn't something that was just a cold sassy thing. There was there was you know how like I think I hear about this in musical theater. They talk about, oh, you're too green. Oh, you're too green. Come back when mm-hmm. you get some experience. But there's something so fresh, honest, raw about what you did in Cold Sassy Tree. And it could have been because you were just like, all right, let's do it. This is the first time, whatever. But like, it, and it, but what's so amazing about it was I found that even after Cold Sassy Tree, you managed to still stay innocent, such a weird word, but <laughs> innocent in your performing that it never got like, oh, it's work now, or oh, like, I'm gonna just do it because I'm good at it. And I think that's goals. Um, but I think that was so fantastic. And what was, what was the Cold Sassy? experience like like because that was your first semester i mean not first semester, second semester but first year mm-hmm. at fsu so what was that like um well i mean i don't know it, it was kind of it's so weird to think about now because it feels so long ago <laughs> but <laughs> but it that that was my very first time giving an opera role or not giving earning an opera role mm-hmm. um and I had never sung with orchestra before. I never had to learn a full score before. You know, I mean, and again, like I, I went to undergrad at Manus. You know, you have these people who were, you know, a full blown of Verdi and baritones, like at 32 years old in the professional develop in the, the professional studies program. Mm-hmm. So there was no opportunity to, to perform. Um, opera at Manus. I learned how to be a great musician there, um, but not a performer. That all came literally from Matthew Lotta. Um, hey, Matthew Lotta. Hey, shout out to Matthew Lotta. Um, but it was overwhelming. Um, it was terrifying. And again, I am so thankful that I went to Manus for undergrad because I became a very good musician there. And that score is not easy. It's It's not easy. Carlisle Floyd has this way of making this a score sound like, like just regular old folk music and everything. That score was still one of the hardest scores I've ever had to learn. Um, Like that, I think the the two hardest scores I've ever learned was that and uh, Turn of the Screw. Like like those two. Yeah. These scores were in, insanely difficult. But um, so like I was holding on by the seat of my pants because everybody else found out they were doing Cold Sassy Tree in like September. Yes, early. 
I was offered the role in November, right Yay. after, like right before uh, Thanksgiving break. Then I had to order the score, which took a month. And I, had to, I remember borrowing a, a, a score of Jessica Zinsky's and photocopying the whole thing until my score got there. Um, but I was just trying to catch up that was the biggest thing for me. Like I had to catch up and learn the score. Um, you know, there, there was not a free minute that I didn't have that I wasn't learning the score. So I don't really think I had time to process what was happening. Like the fact like, Oh, this is my first role. Oh, this is because it was never what I envisioned. I had always thought my first role was going to be done Anna. Um, because that's what everybody had been telling me my entire life. And then all of a sudden I way outgrew Donana. <laughs> like, oh, bye girl. It's nice. <laughs> like, people want to hear me sing Orsai. They don't necessarily want to hear me sing Non Mi Dir. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, they can if they want it. Um, I'm available. But... <laughs> But yeah, I didn't have time to, to process. I, I, I didn't even know that like this was gonna happen until it was like right in my face and the time was crunching down. Um, how did I approach it? I, I mean, I spent a lot of time just reading the words, um, yeah. diving into the, the score and, and I thought about, you know, women that I had known in my life that were survivors of abuse, survivors of rape, um, trying to think about how I, you know, would react in those situations. It, it, and it's not, the, the process isn't much different now um, than I, I would do. Yeah. But there's very little I would do differently if I was learning the role today. Um, because I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, that, that innocence, I, I don't know, I just see it as honesty. I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm not afraid to um, tell my point of view. Uh, and what better opportunity to, to talk about how you view the world? I mean, you know, there's something to be said about the, the career choices that we make where we stand in a darkened room and we literally scream to you know thousands of people. We have something we want to say that needs to be heard. Mm -hmm. And we, I, I think we could have chosen any other <laughs> medium, but we, we need the, we need to be heard. We need to. I, I need to tell these stories. I need to talk about my, my point of view on the world. Um, you know, because I, I think I have something to say and I think every single person has something to say. So when you, when you, when you ask about the innocence, I'm not sure if it's innocence other than just, I don't know, it, it, just the need to be honest. I, I will clear, well, I said what I said, and I do mean, I guess innocence was the word that came out at the time. But I also think one thing, I think we, we, as an art form, get caught up in the word acting a lot. Mm -hmm. What is acting? Gesture? No. Can't park and bark. And I think one thing maybe what I mean is you figured out how 
to be a person. And I feel like a lot of what's missing in acting is people just don't know how people work or how people are, or mm -hmm. they have no frame of, they don't, they don't know people. They don't know, and maybe it's because they don't know themselves or whatever, but that it, it's, they, they spend so many time, they spend so much time, you know, perfecting the voice, which you have to do, you have to practice. But at mm -hmm. the end of the day, when you're, what is that girl's name in Cold Sassetry? Love Simpson. There we go. Love Simpson. <laughs> like Love Simpson doesn't sing, but Love Simpson has those emotions. Mm -hmm. And and you have to figure out how to be a person. How and I think and maybe that's what it is. Like you figured out, you figure out how to be the characters that you are singing. Yeah, I mean, I think opera acting is so. It's such a personal thing, and I've met a, a billion different you know, actors who feel so many different ways about how to do it. And everybody has their own process. You know, people talk about outside in, inside out. You know, how I've always approached learning a role and, and then going to perform it is I have to get that role vocally before I do anything else that needs to be in my body so I don't think about it. Yep because I don't want to think about technique when I'm performing. Everybody wants to see, like nobody wants to see, like of course everyone wants to hear that perfect B flat, but nobody wants to see anybody thinking about their technique. Yeah. And this is why we do so much work, right? Like this is why we do so much work in the studio. This is why we spend so much time with our, our, our uh, voice teachers, what we spend so much time with coaches so that we can perfect everything else. And then for me, my, the final thing that is added in is acting. Um, I don't like to, and, and actually, and this is a, a thing, like, you know, I'll be working on a piece in, in a voice studio and, you know, I have a teacher say, oh, well, you need to put more feeling into it. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't right now. I need to figure out how to, how to do this right. So then later when I put some feeling into it, I'm not thinking about how to do this right. Yeah. Like, and I, I think a lot of people don't, don't work that way. I think people think that emotion just pops up and, and that's what it's all about. But yes, you can do anything with your voice. This is like... You can do anything with your voice. You can do anything with singing. You can make, make people feel a billion different ways. If you have the tools to do that, mm -hmm. and if you don't get those tools first, no amount of emotion or anything else, you're not going to have the, the tools to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think like when, you know, Monet was learning how to paint. Well, if you didn't have the right brushes, if he didn't have any brushes, then how could he yeah. do the, make the strokes that make you feel all these things? Yeah. You know, if you don't have the right tools, nothing's gonna come out. You're not gonna be able to convey anything. So I don't know, when I study, when I, when I do that, I take all emotion out. I don't think about that. I, you know, I, of course I think about what the words mean and everything else, but it is an exercise in getting this into my body so that then I can add the emotion later. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Do you think that? Because sometimes I feel. Did you? Is that something that you came gave to yourself? Is that process you gave to yourself, or is that a process that you were taught, or is that a tool that you were taught? 
that, you know, I, I think so many, I've had so many teachers. I've, uh, you know, and I mean, not just, I, I mean, as far as voice teachers, I've, I've had, what now, four. I'm, a, I'm on my fourth voice teacher. I've been, mm-hmm. you know, studying voice for a minute. What year is it? For a lot of years. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been studying voice for a lot of years. Yeah. And, you know, I'm on my fourth voice teacher. I study with Mary Spicagna. Um, she's a lovely woman and a wonderful singer. Um, my, the, how I've always viewed my voice is I am the CEO of my voice. Mm-hmm. Your voice teachers, your coaches, your friends, your you know, directors, they're, they're all board members. You take their advice seriously. They are people that you've chosen because you trust. But at the end of the day, everything falls down to you. So when I came to that conclusion, I, I don't think it was any one person telling me, this is how you do it. This has come from experience over, you know, of, over a decade of, mm-hmm. of studying and of working and of, you know, observing um, other singers again, which is why I think ensemble work is so important because you get to observe people who are doing it at a level that you clearly want to aspire to, you know? And you have to want to observe because I think there are lots of people, two people can sit in a room and watch, I don't know, Renee Fleming work and one person watches and that like, what are you doing? Oh, that's amazing. And I do think there are people who just would just like sit there and be like, oh, Renee Fleming singing, cool, cool. Yeah. No. And I mean, and I, there are so many different <laughs> types of people, but it, it takes a certain type of person to be able to thrive in this industry. Um, and, you know, I mean, we're all like, like right now, I mean, this industry, we're all sitting at home because, yes. you know, our form disappeared overnight, but um I mean, not, not totally. I mean, that's not true. Like we, there are things going on and digital innovation and, you know, that's fine. Um, (laughs) but you know, and we can get into that later, um, or like a two parter, (laughs) Um, but, uh, but you know, like I'm not, I'm not anywhere. Like I'm, I'm still working my butt off every day just to be heard. Um, you know, and, and so I don't want to, you know, sit here and pretend like I have everything figured out. I know an approach that seems to be working for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm where I, where I want to be. Am I, am I where I want to be? No, not at all. Not by any means. Um, but you know, I mean, we all have to take our own journeys. Um, mm-hmm. Again, like there's no, and, and I think we had talked about this before, like there's no one way, you know, everybody has their own journey. So I guess going back to, you know, whether somebody told me something, mm-hmm. um, you can't take any, anybody's advice as canon. Inquestareggio. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I know. I feel like you did something different than any no one else. I think 
in Questa Regia fit you? You started singing that while we were still at FSU, yeah. Yeah, my last year. You knew as soon as you put it on, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, that like that was, that was it. I have a long and complicated history with that aria. <laughs> Would you like to tell, go into it? So again, I, I, I studied with um, Dan Merrick back at Manus. And I studied with him for my first two years of, uh, at Manus. And then I started studying with the amazing and wonderful and just fabulous human being, Amy Burton. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think at the time I was in my early 20s. Um, and once I had started getting some confident voice teaching. Hey. Really. And I started to develop that operatic sound. Dan Merrick took one look at me, took a look at the length of my neck, the shape of my face, and the the width of my ribs, and was like, I think she might be a dramatic soprano. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So he assigned me in Questareggia. And and again, like, I will say this, that man had taught me so much and, and things I still think about today. You know, he taught me how to breathe. He gave me my voice. Um, and I and I know he was the first person that was like, I think you might be a dramatic spirito, but also I was in my early 20s. Um, and he assigned me in Questareggia. I think it was mostly not, I, I don't think it was, it, it was for me to go out and perform. I think it was kind of a let's, let's take a listen. And I sang it and it hurt and I, <laughs> I, I I went I went to my I, I practiced it once in my house. It hurt and I never touched it again. Hmm. And I, I started looking for a new voice teacher. Um I think partially because I didn't understand what he was going for. Mm-hmm. And also I think it was time that I, I I had moved to another teacher. Um and I'm so happy that I that I moved to to work with Amy Burton. Um and you know, I don't ever, ever, ever want to discount anything. Like, I, I think that was, you know, one instance. And I think Dan Merrick is a very fine teacher. Um, I, I think he is an even finer human being. Um, I, he has students that are singing all over the world, uh, singing in, in major opera houses. Like, I, I don't want you want anybody to think that I'm saying any of this to disparage Dan Merrick because yeah. he is a fabulous teacher. I think, you know, he also came from a totally different generation where people would work with their teachers forever, you know, on every, every note, you know, and we were there working in a model where I was with him once a week. In my early 20s, I sang in Guastareja once and I put it away and I was like, this ain't for me. This ain't it, sis. Like, (laughs) this ain't it. Um, I put it away and then I started to think about it, you know, when I was in my very early 30s in grad school. Um, you know, I'd been studying with Shirley Close, who, you know, herself was a dramatic soprano. Um, and I trusted her with my voice and, and still do. I would still trust her with my voice. Um, and uh, if she didn't live in New York City and I lived in Pittsburgh, like if, if we were in the same city, I would definitely still work with her. Yeah. I started singing Questareggia, and at that point in my technique, in my temperament, 
in my understanding of the world. Um, everything kind of clicked. I love that character. I think Torando is one of the most misunderstood characters in opera. Um, I think that she is so capable and so empathetic and, and so capable and full of love that she has to like kind of shut herself off. If she feels too much, it gets overwhelming. And yes. like, don't we all know people yes. in our lives who shut down yes. when things get too real? Um, you know, and I, I think that's a big part is like making these people human um, yeah. instead of archetypes. Yep. Um, but anyway, it, it clicked. It felt good. It still feels good. It's, an, it's not a difficult thing for me. But when you think about it, Turundo is a very high soprano. I still have my extension. You know, yeah. I, I started singing, I was singing Queen of the Night with easy Fs. Um, in fact, I sang Queen of the Night at Florida State <laughs> for the outreach cast, <laughs> um, double cast with Catherine Bowden, who was, went on to sing Queen of the Night at the Met, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and shout out to Catherine Bowden, one of my besties. Um, <laughs> yes, Catherine. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, Turandro, it, it is for a certain voice type. It's, it's for a voice that sits high and, and is able to spin a piano. Um, I know everybody thinks dramatic singing is all about singing loud, and that's not true. It's about cut. It's about spin. It's about everything but singing loud. Yes. Um, singing loud is the easiest part. Singing quietly is the hardest thing. Um, and again, we talk about this all the time. Dynamics is a color, not a color. Well, there's people in the back and the front and the middle <laughs> and the side. And again, and it's one of those things like, I don't know, Turundo feels so fresh and easy. Um, the, the hardest part of the opera for me, when I, whenever I've done it, um, is the torture scene because it's just these random things where you're, you know, yelling and trying not to get too violent with your voice, mm -hmm. um, but still trying to convey the, you know, the, the violence in her thought um, and, and in, her, in her feelings. And really it's, it's not even violence, it's desperation. Um, and then having to go back and sing that, uh, the duet, the Alfani duet. Um, which is, if you can sing high and light, you can get through it. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's one of my favorite parts because uh, it's just this floated, like, like the whole ending of it is, is just floated and easy. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think people approach it with too much anger. Um, and that's why people blow their voices out singing it uh, is because, is they see her as an angry person, not as a scared and hurt person. So. Ugh, I love it. So did you find that as a, your claim or like, as you decided that, not decided, but like dramatic soprano, this is what I am. Here's the repertoire. Did you find that people around, like your teachers or the people around you were like, yes, or people were like, I mean, maybe you should go back and rethink about it. You know, I had, it like, 
just about every singer in their mid and late 20s who claims to be a dramatic singer and 99% of them are not. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had something in my head that goes, no, this is my repertoire. I might not have the tools to do it yet, but this is my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like something about Turando, just I go, yes. I was meant to sing this. I was meant to tell this story. I was meant to sing this role. I mean, and you know, I, I love Wagner. I want to sing so much Wagner in my life. Um, and you know, uh, I may never sing a full Brunhilde, um, but I, I think, uh, you know, I've probably got a good Zieglinda in me. Um, you know, I, I think I have a good Isolde in me. But, and actually, Zold is one of those things I, I kind of felt very similar when I, when I sang Torando um, as I'm starting, you know, in my, <clears throat> somewhere in my 30s. Uh, it, it feels like it is something that I was meant to sing. Um, there are times when you, when you sing things and they feel like home. And I know when I was, you know, in my 20s and I was singing a lot of Verdi as you know young dramatic voices do they sing a ton of Verdi they sing it like it's Mozart and then in order like when I start to feel a little run down I would go back and I'd sing Mozart mm-hmm. you know and it would felt like medicine to my voice and now you know this time you know if I sing it if I'm singing a bunch of Puccini if I'm singing a you know a, a ton of Wagner I go back and I sing some Verdi. I sing some Tace la Notte. And it starts to feel like medicine to the voice. And um, I I forgot where we were. (laughs) It doesn't matter. We're talking about Inquietoreja. But you, you, I think... Oh, being a dramatic voice. Oh, yes. But I think that that point is hard. Trusting your heart is hard because Mm -hmm. you're being in tune enough to be like, that fits well. And having that voice be as loud or louder than all the other voices around you that are like, maybe not, maybe you should do this. And being able to be like, I will take everything that you said with a grain of salt, but I know somewhere deep down what this is to be true. Yeah. I think sometimes it's very hard. So my favorite thing to say is people, everybody wants to be a big voice. And so it's time to be a big voice. Yeah, this is the thing. I started, I, when I, when I switched to working with Amy Burton, I walked in and I was like, I'm a dramatic soprano. That's me. That's what I do. And she's like, you're going to sing Countess for one entire year and nothing else. You have to learn that discipline. Mm -hmm. You have to learn the discipline of your voice. And I, I think that's the thing. This is the thing why, why it ticks me off when so many young singers go, I'm a dramatic singer. I don't need to learn how, like, I'm never going to sing Mozart. I don't no, Mozart. I can still, I will still, I sang, um, uh, 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 why the name just flew right out of my head because I don't sing it that often. Pamina's aria, Achish mm, Yes. I sang that two months or two months before the pandemic. Yeah. In a concert. But <laughs> but I sang it for full, a room full of people. I, I got paid that. for it. Yeah. It was great. Um, you know, I might not balance with a Mozart cast. 
it may be a different balance, but I know how to sing that music. Yeah, and I'm sure it's and, and the thing is, is you have to get your technique down. Um, it's this whole idea that like, oh, well, big voices, oh, it'll just click after 30. No, it won't. <laughs> Not if you didn't do the work in your 20s, it won't click. Um, and so there is this idea, and this is why everybody, you know, always is discouraging young singers of being like, I'm a dramatic voice. I know, I made the same mistake, you know, when when I was in my in my twenties. Like, I don't need to. Uh, and it took Amy Burton telling me to no, you're gonna sing Countess for a year. And pulling away that title from me because she knew, everybody knew around me what what my voice was gonna turn out to be. Um, but I didn't have the discipline. I didn't have the discipline of my voice. I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know how to do make other colors. I didn't I, I needed to spend that time learning style, learning my languages, learning everything else, learning how to breathe. Um, so that when the time came, when my larynx solidified enough to handle the repertoire that I sing now, I would have all those tools available. Yeah. You know, when people talk about these great singers, like look at Christine Gerke. Christine Gerke did not start out as a dramatic soprano. She was singing Handel and Mozart and at like city opera and at the metropolitan opera um she didn't start off just singing and she didn't wait until her 30s to you know go off and you know and wait for her career to start because she was doing that um she learned how to sing first yeah. you know and i think there's this this impatience and this entitlement to have something mm -hmm. that you haven't worked for um so yeah, young singers who think that they're dramatic singers, okay, that's great. Go learn Mozart. And sing it with your own voice, so that's yes, a thing. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing. And it's also like even if you even if someone like came from the sky and said, You are okay, no one's gonna hire you to sing any of that rep anyway. So don't no. waste your time. No. Like I'm um, <laughs> I barely get hired to sing that rep. <laughs> so what is um I don't know what is what where are you artistically? I mean, I know we're in a crazy time right now, um, yeah. and so where, uh, as much as you want to to express, mm -hmm. like where are you artistically? Ethan? I mean, I'm all about honesty, and I think that it's really important to highlight the fact that you know everything isn't always positive. Everybody isn't always in a great space, you know. Um, I was in the middle of a run of Porgy and Bess at Atlanta Opera when the world shut down. Mm -hmm. You know, I was expecting to go on and do a show and two hours before I had to leave and go to the theater, we got an email saying that everything was canceled and that we needed to go home. And, you know, I got in my car and I just kind of drove home and it was terrifying. Um, you know, I drove back to Pittsburgh from Atlanta and you know I was supposed to come see visit you I was supposed yes. to do all kinds of stuff that I that I missed out on um and I spent a lot of that drive just kind of reflecting like is that the last thing that I'm ever gonna do um and to go from like the super highs and, and the thing that really is hard is I was planning a move to Germany for the fall um because you know i'm at a i'm at a certain age i i only have so much time 
you know, to really give this career a real full good shot yeah, and to have that snatched away, you know, cause I don't ever want to look back on my life and go, mm, I wonder if, yeah, you know, uh, I'm okay. Not having, not having a major career. If I did everything that I could to try. Yeah. And I haven't done that yet. Um, you know, I mean, I've done some lovely young artist programs. I've done some, uh, done some main stage work. I've done, you know, little bits here and there. I've done, you know, a lot of ensemble work uh, around the country. I've done, you know, I, I, I've gotten to perform. And I am a, like, I've been a working singer. It's my only job. It was the only thing I had time to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I was able to make it work. And, you know, was it the career I wanted? No, but was it the career I had at the time? Absolutely. And to see that work just kind of disappear in, you know, hours. Literally um, hours. Literally hours. Like I was packing up my bag to go to the theater because I always arrive an hour before call time. So I'm not rushing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, time management people but uh you know when when we finally do get to go back um but i don't know i i didn't sing the first note that i sang was a week ago mm. from march 15th um it's hard you know yeah. i think to go from like, you know, I'm, I'm there, I was sharing the stage with, with Morris Robinson and, uh, you know, and Andrew Thomas and Talise Trevine and, and like seeing all this wonderful, you know, this, this black excellence. I was, I was in Atlanta, like in Atlanta and like one of the blackest cities in, like, uh, in the country and enjoying enjoying this work and enjoying being in a room with with colleagues that like understood my journey and like I understood theirs and we all got it and and we were together and we were making this amazing music and like you know and and like being able to be like hey I'm a soloist woo um you know and and making you know making some amazing friends like I I uh um, Kimberly Milton, who is just this amazing, stunning dramatic mezzo, like just fabulous. One of the one of the most beautiful singers I've ever heard. Um, you know, was making her debut there, and you know, luckily we'd had a few shows. Like it wasn't like the 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 production closed before we were able to perform. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, but to go from that to nothing was really heartbreaking, and like just being so unsure and being at a point in my career where it was like, I'm building momentum and you can't stop to all of a sudden, like hitting a brick wall. Yeah. You know, I'm at that point in my career, like where it's all about like continuing to meet people, continuing to make yeah. connections, continuing to, to have your face out there. You know, part of the reason why I take some of the ensemble work that I take is so because there's a conductor that I love yeah. you know, and that I want to work with. Um, like, like the conductor for Porgy and Bess was David, Maestro David Abel. He is a phenomenal conductor. And I got to work with him, you know, last summer. And 
was so excited and jumped at the opportunity to do ensemble with uh, with Porgy and Bess in Atlanta because I got to work with Maestro Bell again, you know? Yeah. And I got to see him work and got to see their process. Um, you know, uh, I, I got to work with Garnett Bruce again, who was the director. Uh, you know, and part of it is just like throw it, put it, making sure your face is still in front of people. You know, yeah. I have, I, I go and visit my friends who work, like my, my best friend in the entire world, Alan Higgs, you know, works all over the world. I swear he could be my second agent. And this is the thing. I have such amazing friends, yourself included, you know, who find me work, who are call, who call me and be like, Hey girl, <laughs> I just heard about this thing. You want to do it? Yeah. Right. That's most of the work that I've gotten has been through friends and people that I've worked with. And this is why it's so important to be kind to your colleagues, to be good to your colleagues. But again, where am I now? Well, I'm at home. I got a new puppy. Yes. <laughs> She's really nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there is this mentality of, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. And yes, we have to do that. Um, I had to take a break because it was too painful. Every time I opened my mouth to sing, all I would think about is everything that I've lost. And I know that so many people feel that way right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially in the beginning of this, like everybody was feeling pressure to make their video. Um, like, oh, I got to get that video up on Instagram or I got to get that video up on Facebook. Everybody has to see how hard I'm working. And it's this performative positivity. Um, and for some people, it's genuine. Some people do this as it's therapy. They sing from their soul and from their bones, and it's the only way they can get it out. Mm-hmm. Some of us don't process that way. Again, I'm a person like I love to sing. I'm not. That's not the only thing I identify myself with. You know, I've there are so many other parts of my personality and so many other interests I have. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I love sci-fi. I love reading. I love playing video games. I love hanging out with my husband. I love going in nature. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I love to sew, I love to cross stitch. Like I have other creative outlets. Singing is not my only creative outlet. Um, I don't identify my entire personality around being a singer. And that's a hard thing to do because for a long time I did. And I I think everybody goes through that journey. Um, But, you know, I think it's okay to step back and wait and process. And, you know, I mean, I'm at a point in my life, like, I don't know, maybe I want to be a singer when everything starts again. Maybe I don't. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I think I'll have to see when I'm there, whether or not getting back into that hustle is what I truly want for myself. Um, I don't think, and I, I, I don't have the answer now. I know how I feel when I sing. I know how it feels when you, you know, you, you're on stage and the lights hit you and you open your mouth and, and sing and you start to become connected to every single molecule in the room, you know, um, and how it feels. But, you know, 
is that the only way to feel that? I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this time is giving myself and, and everybody else time to evaluate that too. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think, call a thing a thing. And I think that's sometimes in the opera world, we know we have these feelings, but we're, we're like, oh, we can't, can't be negative, gotta be positive. And it's like, I was like, it's, it's, it's pieces, the seed of what that is, is the disconnect that I think sometimes we have with audiences because we are afraid to just like be for uh-huh. real. For real. No, absolutely. And I think I think there is a lot of toxic positivity involved in the career. Um, a lot of pretending things are okay when they really aren't. Um, a lot of, you know, and, and we all have to have some level of delusion because it's, it's fucking crazy, like, to try and pursue a career in opera. It really is. Like, you have yeah, to be an no insane person. It is beyond logic. If you exactly. Like, like, so, like, let's just take that <laughs> and understand that that's part of this mix, is that we're all a little weird, and we're all extremely egocentric, and we all, <laughs> like, we wouldn't do this if it didn't make us feel good. But then also there are some of us who do it because it makes us feel so bad. Um, you know, it's like, it's like leaving an abusive husband, you know, why do you keep yeah. saying it does not hurt? It's not helping you, sis. Well, I love him, you know? Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's not, that's not everybody's experience. That's not, but I, I can just talk from my own, you know, it's so important to understand what the truth is of your situation. And that truth may be different, you know, to you now, like your, your truth uh, may be different now than it will be in five years, but this is a career and, and a, an industry that thrives on dreams. And when you think about the reality, it makes it really difficult. And I, and I, I mean, myself included, as I go back to school in the, in the fall, is the mindset that are all the, for all the students who are going into school this, this school year for singing, I mean, all the arts, actually, dance, whatever, in school, mm-hmm. arts-wise, like waking, the, the, the brain Olympics that you go through, waking up every day to go to a class, or an art form that you see literally does not exist right now. Yeah. But still finding whatever you have inside of you every day to be like, yeah. Like that positivity beyond like mm-hmm. the logic of what you see in the reality. Yeah. It's, and I think, I hope schools are ready with their mental health abilities and their availability to counselors because I do think I mean, and it's understandable, like people are going to have a difficult time and they might be great for like the first couple of weeks. Yeah, it's fine. We're in school. We're just doing it. But I do think after a while that like tears you down. I don't understand the logistics um, uh, of school being a thing right now. I don't understand it. 
Um, you know, there is a lot of magical thinking happening right now, especially, you know, from the highest reaches of our government <laughs> all the way down to, you know, I don't know, lady walking down the street. Yeah. Um, but I don't understand the logistics of it. I don't understand. And, you know, this is, I, and I, I never ever want to disparage anybody from doing what they think they should do. I think, you know, if you feel that it is the right choice for you to go to school right now, then that it's absolutely the right choice. Um, I think, of course, you should continue singing, of course, like, especially if you're at that, that point in your technique where you're just starting to get something and, you know, and it feels like, and if taking a break and singing feels counterproductive, then it probably is, you know, Um, you know, if you're 23 years old and you're just starting to figure out stuff, you can't stop, you can't stop building those skills. Um, And you have to continue building your skills, but I just don't understand how uh, performance works. I don't understand how um, learning to work with people on stage, actually walking on those boards, how that, how does that work? And they, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. No, I, I have no idea. And I'm so, you have, you have a point and it was something, and this is not against anybody who's doing the virtual stuff that we've been doing. People need to get it out. They need to mm-hmm. get it out. They need to get it out. But it, it was a moment a moment of like self-empowerment and also like my own autonomy and my energy where I was like, like you see that the dual, like the split screen, the pianist recorded it. And then now you're singing. And if it's a duet, you're singing to someone else who's singing, but you're not in the same space. You're not, yeah. you're not going off of your energy. It's like, what did you sing to me? How did you say it? Oh, I felt that. Let me give it back. Yeah. And, and I know it's, it, we, some people are like, we just have to learn to figure out another way. But <laughs> one thing that I will say, that Morris Robinson said and Russell Thomas said, he was, and they were honest, they were like, if the rest of this opera world is singing with, with microphones or like with, with like a personal microphone, like, like if you have like an external microphone and he was like, I spent years, hours, blood, sweat, tears to learn how to sing in a space. And now just gonna be like, no, that's fine learn these Mm -hmm. new skills. It's like, no, thank you. Yeah. I mean, yes, I, I think by taking opera completely digital, I mean, what we have been doing previously is we've been, you know, like a lot of people complain about HD and so on and so forth, but they're still in a theater. They're still performing as they would. Um, and for the most part, like I I've been at, to operas like where I've seen the HD performance and I've seen the like normal day, no camera performance. And there are differences. They do play to the cameras a little more than they would. Um, But that's also, again, part of adapting to your audience. It's not like they don't play to the bigger audience. They, they still, um, they just add one more element um, from what I've seen. And that of course isn't everybody. And, you know, there's so many different styles of acting for those but now we're talking about taking my voice which was which can you know fill up a you know 4,000 seat house and trying to sing into like this little microphone that I have and that's 
counterintuitive to everything I've ever learned. And it's not at, at one, at what point does it become something different at one point? What point does it not become opera? Um, and part of why I got into opera is the thrill and joy of the, the human voice, the live sound that, that performing live. I never like recordings. I hate recordings because then you can go back and you can nitpick and you can think about every little mistake you made. And then like, I rarely post recordings of my singing because um, I'm rarely happy with them. And I think as artists, we should always be finding ways to improve and, and figure out more. But, you know, once you record it, it takes the live performance away. Yes. It then becomes something like, like I, I just prefer for something to be out there and gone, you know? And, it's, and I think uh, my experience with you specifically, because we've gotten to share the stage so many times in, in very dramatic, drama-filled moments, <laughs> like there's nothing more than singing and then also having someone sing right back at you. Mm -hmm. And like, you can't, you, 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 you just can't, you just can't do it and it, and even as the artist, I think, and maybe I haven't done it, so I can't speak as if I have. Like, I don't, I don't know if I could have felt our Susanna Blitch duet, our Anna and Frank Morant scenes as intimately via a camera. No, I know. I would never have been able to do it. And, and I... Yeah, I have so much respect for people who are out there hustling and doing it now because, like, Lord knows, it's not something I want to be a part of. And, like, really, I want no part and of it. That's okay. And and that's you know that's fine. <laughs> um, good for you. I, you know, I, I'm maybe it's because I'm old. Maybe it's because I'm kind of a luddite. Maybe I I don't know, but I'm happy that people are able to express what they want to express. But also like, I'm kind of over the, the homemade piecemeal bullshit that I keep saying. And, and then, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I <said that. laughs> no, but I would say as, as school's starting and, and I'm not even gonna speak on my program like this, but you know, lots of schools are you know, trying to figure out how to how to do opera in this time. And and I think right now, you know, an opportunity, it's like, you know, it is going to be unsafe. And there are some people who are willing to take that risk, like singing with someone and being like, you know, there's there might be plexiglass or there might it might be. And it's like some people don't want to take that risk. It doesn't mean they're less of an artist. It's just, yeah. they're like, I, I'm not no, trying to I, die today. <laughs> I, I go around nobody breathing on me that heavy and so there's a vaccine. And, and I'm like, like I'm, I just won't. And it's like, learn how to plan a recital, program a recital, because you can do that mm -hmm. by yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're pianist, but like, and it'll teach you a skill that I think a lot of people are realizing like, oh man, because there will, and somebody was talking about this. If you have like recitals already planned, like, um, like I guess in your book, like rep. Yeah. It's very easy to, especially if you can handle, find a pianist that 
you guys can do it safely. You can go to a lot of places and just do a little recital, just you and somebody else more than you can let's put on a recital. Um, yeah. So, and so it may be new music, M music like songs, art songs, recitals might make have a little renaissance, um, maybe. But I, I, but I would rather sing a recital than sing an opera virtually. And, and, and I really just can't say that enough and strongly enough because I just, um, especially as a bigger voice, and it's just the, the, the speakers have to be the right way. The microphones have to be the right way. We have to be in the right space. Yeah, I never even liked doing voice lessons online. Um, and, I, and I haven't done any, you know. I'm, I'm not a believer in it. I think what we do is a live acoustic thing, but you know, good for everybody else um, is how I feel. You know, it's not for me to tell anybody how to live their right? life do your and, art, and do, do their stuff. artistic work, but um, yeah. Mm. Huh. I'm trying to look how to, if we should find something positive to end this on, or the reality <laughs> is like, life's not positive. But the reality is, right that, you know, maybe the, the positive thing to end on is, is I believe that the most important thing is honesty and truth and exploration of yourself. Um, yes, I think, and this goes for everything in life. I, I think that the world would be a lot better place if there was a lot more self-examination. <laughs> um, tell the people. <laughs> and I think it, well, it makes us better humans. It does. It makes us, and when we're better humans, we're better artists. Yes. So... And again, this is why the, there's this, you know, idea of, you know, having a higher calling as an artist. Well, that's because it, it, it really does force you, if you're going to approach being an artist, it forces you to be a better person and to have the ability to, to self-reflect and, um, the ability to tell your story and you know this is one of those things if i could say anything to any young artist anybody who's thinking about being a performer anybody who's thinking about picking up a, a an instrument is that you are the only person in this entire world that has your perspective i don't care about the notes. I don't care about, you know, the, 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 I don't know, the, the diction and, and, and everything else. Like this is when it, when it really comes down to it, what I care about and what I think that most people care about is hearing your perspective. They want to hear your thoughts, not not anybody else's thoughts. They want to hear your interpretation. And you are the only person that can tell the story the way that you can tell it. There is nobody else in this world who has lived your life and lived your experience. So let people get to know you. Ugh. Yes. Oh, what a perfect way to end it. Yes. Thank you so much. For, Thank uh, you for having me. Uh, I mean, literally, it's my pleasure. Um, <laughs> like I said before, I'm happy to talk about myself for an hour. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, until next time. <laughs>